Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for August 19th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we get the latest on this year's cotton crop and take a look at tools and techniques that will help with future crops. We also hear about a new and surprisingly sweet blackberry called the Ponca, and we learn all about Rock City Burger Week. First, Jason Brown talks to Dr. John Clark, Distinguished Professor of Horticulture with the UA Division of Agriculture, to talk about his latest innovation, sweet blackberry called the Ponca. Dr. Clark has dedicated more than 40 years to breeding fruits, with his most notable contributions being to the state's blackberry industry. I'm Jason Brown with the Arkansas AgCast. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Clark, all the way from uh, from the field. I appreciate you making the time today. Well, I'm glad to be here, Jason. Glad to share about Arkansas blackberries. Yeah, perfect. Well, let's let's get kicked off and talk, have this blackberry conversation here. Uh, your work, so your work at the Division of Agriculture involves blackberry breeding, uh, which is why we wanted to talk. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the breeding program there and, and the goals, some of the goals that you have for the program? Well, one of the most important things to share about the breeding program has been going on a long time. Uh, University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture started this program in 1964. At a Plummerville native, Dr. James Moore began the program. Dr. Moore went up to Rutgers University in New Jersey and got a, a PhD degree, came back to Arkansas because he had seen the value of a breeding program to enhance the quality uh, and productivity and value to farmers of varieties developed in the environment where they are grown. So that's what the magic of plant breeding is about. And Dr. Moore was inspired that way. So he came back and started the program in 1964 across a broad range of crops. The blackberries are one of the key ones he felt like had a lot of improvement potential. Mm -hmm. I joined Dr. Moore in 1980, 16 years after the program began, as a research technician for him and have worked in the program uh, 41 years since, um, mm -hmm. finishing up my career next year um, uh, as a distinguished professor. Well, congratulations on, on, on your upcoming retirement. Uh, let's, okay. So a little bit of history about the program. Appreciate that. You've certainly been with the program a, a while and, and are very familiar. So you might be able to answer this next question handily. I'd say, uh, you recently released, uh, the Ponca variety of blackberry, uh, which you say is uniquely appealing, uh, to consumers. I was reading an article, uh, that featured you earlier and saw this. What makes that blackberry, the Ponca blackberry, so special? Well, Ponca, and its test number is A2538T, um, well, it's been special since the day I found it. You know, I like blackberries that are sweet. Most people think of blackberries in general around the country and world as being tart. Mm -hmm. And so you better put some sugar on them, ice cream, pies, cobblers, jam, jelly. Mm -hmm. So a blackberry that will stand alone and just be good. And it usually needs to be sweet to cut across all of the customers that are out there. Uh, that's really what's needed. And let me emphasize, we want a blackberry that you can eat fresh, that you don't need ice cream or sugar, or you don't have to cook it, just eat it. And that's mm -hmm. actually the healthiest way to eat a blackberry. So when what became Ponca came along, I immediately got excited and and 
pretty move it fairly quickly in our testing system because we've got to be very careful that we test and make sure you know it's really that good it does it yield does it get through the winter does it mm-hmm. not have some disease problem that one year you have and one year you don't so we still went through that meticulous system of testing but when we were going through there jason here's what i noticed when it came time to go home on Friday afternoon after my week at the fruit research station at Clarksville, mm-hmm. that's the one I went and picked for myself. <laughs> so that's about as strong a testament we could get. Sure. And I wasn't that crazy about telling anybody else about it because uh, it was that good. And so why is it that good? Well, the berries on Ponca, you never say never and never say always, but are the most consistent berry after berry after berry, you know, are good. Oftentimes, you go to a blackberry plant, pick five berries, you get five experiences. Some of them are real good and ripe. Some of them are very tart. Mm -hmm. So this is the closest I've seen. I didn't say every one guaranteed every time. So that consistent flavor, sweetness, it has a reduced acidity, and that helps also. uh, You don't get that kind of shock that you bite in some blackberries that you get. It has an aromatic component, kind of the flavor component that's a positive also that it enhances it. It's a beautiful plant. It's shown good productivity in our trials. It's had the shows the ability to store, which would allow shipping. We believe, besides, you know, it's really going to be handy to pick for local markets to sell. You know, within the next few days after harvest. Mm-hmm. So all those traits together really got my attention. But it all started with like, I think that's what I've been looking for for the last forty years. That's <laughs> what I feel today. Now. Few years from now, someone say, well, it didn't really work out that great. But right now, it's really promising. And the people that I share it with and now have begun to plant it, they're getting that impression of being this is a special product. So that's what Tonka is. And uh, it's, you know, we've got a lot of varieties starting in the first ones came out in 1974, uh, Comanche and Cherokee. And that's Tonka's thornless. Easy to grow, great berries. So it looks like the answer. Wow! You never know. Time will tell. Okay the, the that entire the the entire time you were sharing about Ponca, I was mentally eating a blackberry and going through some. You're exactly right. That tartness, that you know, sort of it's. It, I don't think sweet when I when I hear blackberry. But you talk about when you discovered it. Kind of tell me a little bit about what that. What does that mean to a to a lay person? to discover? What's that process look like uh, briefly? Well, you know, and we do what we call classical fruit breeding, where you choose plants, in this case, blackberries, you choose parents that have, let's say we call them complementary traits. The simplest example would be one that's really big fruited, maybe it's thornless, and you got one over here that's tastes real good, but not very big. And if you cross those two, then you get children, progeny, the family of plants and put out maybe 200 children, let's say from those. And the breeder walks along and finds the one that maybe is big and tastes good. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's a very simple example. So in the breeding process, you're trying to combine traits. Some of those are simply inherited traits like thornlessness is a simple trait to identify. And we have lots of thornless plants now, something like flavor is more difficult. There are a lot of genes that are involved with flavor and the environment impacts it greatly. You have a rain or you have odd um, environmental conditions that can throw the flavor off. So trying to find one that has the, you know, the traits you're looking for. And when you find that one or two plants out of a couple of hundred, then those are what we call selected and they get a number. 
And so then we take the plant, move it to another spot at our research station and put out a few more plants about, you know, put about 20 plants out and now look at it and say, no, this thing is really good. Is that one plant that I found? Uh, And most of the time it's not. I say plant breeders are the biggest trash makers we've got because (laughs) most everything we make, we throw away. But in this case, Ponco is one of those that, boy, this is looking good. Let's get this thing over here where we can expand a little more, pick the berries and, you know, do storage trials on them, collect more data such as soluble solids, which is really the measurement of sweetness or the acidity. Let's find out what that value is. Let's store them and see if they hold up for a week or two. Uh, do they get through the winters? You know, we mm-hmm. had that minus 15 Fahrenheit back in February at Clarksville uh, back in um, this year. And it got through that just fine And most of our sites on the farm. So that's a big thing to learn. So that's how the process goes along. And then finally, when you feel like this adds potential for farmers and consumers, then you give it a name and then it's released to allow others to access it. Okay. So that's a little bit of how the system works. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of that access, what what is the sort of business model behind the Ponca Blackberry? If I, well, if I may Ponca, say it that. Ponca, with other varieties from the University of Arkansas uh, Division of Agriculture Fruit Breeding Program, are patented. A plant patent is much like a patent that you have on all sorts of uh, things in our, our world. Our mm-hmm. This uh, equipment we're recording this on has a world of patents involved with it, various technologies. So the Arkansas varieties are patented, plant patented, and that's the protection for the plant in the United States. And what that does is allow the rights to the plant to be assigned to the University of Arkansas Board of Trustees. And then the university then licenses nurseries to propagate the varieties, including Ponca. So we have a series of nurseries. It's open licensing for any nurseries that request a license. And then uh, they get a contract that says, okay, you have the right to propagate plants. And then there's a designated royalty for the per plant that they market, sell. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that royalty is collected. Why do we do this? Because fruit breeding or all active programs like this are really expensive. And so this allows some return back to the university to help pay for the program. Mm -hmm. And we've been very successful in this area. You know, in agriculture or other areas of university research, it's imperative to have a source of funds to pay for it. Pay for what? Well, pay for all this the employees involved, pay for the farm, pay for the management of all the plants, irrigation, cut the grass, chop the weeds, pick. Mm -hmm. So it's a tremendous expense. Now, in our fruit industry in Arkansas, it is mainly local market growers, farmers markets, pick your own own farm sales, a little shipping, but not that much. Mm -hmm. So that does not provide the basis of something like the rice industry or the soybean industry, where you have a large industry that can collect um, income, let's say, by the bushel or by the bale or something like that Mm -hmm. in a more structured manner. So this allows royalties to come to the program. And you have to admit, our varieties are used around the world. And so often it generates revenue that comes back to support the program and helps others in other places help pay for it. So that's why we patent. It's a small part of the price of a plant. 
No one has ever complained to me about a royalty on an Arkansas variety, by the way, uh, <laughs> millions yeah. of plants later. So, for instance, what does that amount to? Well, let's take Washita. Washita was released in 2003. Mm-hmm. So, Washita is accepts 5 million plants in sales by licensed nurseries. Wow. And I believe the the royalty on that, I believe, is 15 cents a plant, as I remember. I don't manage that any longer. But so over the years, that's produced some revenue to come back sure. to help support things. And so that's the model, and the model is a win-win. But, Jason, it's like anything else in the real world. You've got to have somebody, somebody wants, something someone wants. <laughs> you produce right. something they don't want, you still got it. Certainly. Okay, so Ponca looks like something people want. Had an interesting experience the other day. Uh, the Fayetteville grower was selling Ponca at the Fayetteville Farmer's Market on the square. Uh-huh. A lady came by and bought a gallon of them and took them around the square, handing them out, saying, you've got to taste this Ponca. Oh, wow. This is the best there's ever been. And over there is where you can buy some. And so you're talking about marketing. Well, that was perfect. Yeah. Now, that's an important story, but I wasn't there. But I know one thing that was present there, and there was a smile on her face. Yes, sure. And, you know, and so it's a nice product. It's healthy. It's something from Arkansas people will enjoy. So that's the real business model, a smile on a face. And usually the money will take care of itself all the way on back. Yeah. Well, I've got to ask, both both Matthew, our producer, and I are, are sitting here just looking at each other bug-eyed. So where where can somebody get a Ponca blackberry today? You mentioned the Fayetteville Farmer's Market. We're, we're down here in central Arkansas. Where, where could somebody get one of these? Well, there aren't any Ponca blackberries right now remaining for the season. Ponca okay. is a fairly early season variety. At Clarksville, it starts so around the 5th of June, more or less, and it'll run until somewhere the last one's toward the middle of July. So they would all be gone now as far as fruit goes. And I might mention, I regret that, because, boy, I was enjoying them to the very last one, <laughs> personally. And, yeah. I, and I cherish the last ones that were in the, in the last clamshell for the year. So it'll be next year before you could get punk okay. of fruit. All right. Well, we'll keep our eyes out, and uh, and I, I can't wait to I can't wait to try this thing. Last question, as we wrap up here, you know, June. Speaking of June, June was uh, Arkansas Blackberry Month, a celebration that included uh, I think I read a twenty five percent rise in acres planted over the past three years, and uh, now we've got a crop value of, of blackberries in the state of four million dollars annually, uh, pretty substantial uh, for fruit, I think, and and. I just the question for you is what's driving this popularity? I mean, that's a twenty five percent increase over the past few years. We're talking millions of dollar in value f- for the state. What is what's behind that that popularity increase? Well, first off, you know, in Arkansas, we've got a really innovative set of people that are interested in doing a good job growing crops. Okay, and so if you have people that are willing to, you know, take that risk and put that planting out, develop that market take care of these plants, you know, and manage that. That's the key. Now, so what do they need for success? One key thing you need on almost all agricultural products or plants or all, you know, is the variety, something that's good. So in my world of plant breeding, it starts with genetics. If it doesn't start out with the potential to be good, it's going to be hard to make it good on down the line. So our varieties then 
have helped drive this expansion. Mm -hmm. And it all goes back to something I said earlier. When they taste better, folks buy them. I have nothing against cobblers, jams, jellies, and ice cream. In fact, when I was a little boy growing up in Mississippi, I'd take my molasses bucket out and pick wild blackberries. I don't think I ate any of them. I just gave them my mother to make a cobbler. That's all I knew about blackberries. Mm-hmm. But if you have something that, that's good right off, off the plant that you can buy fresh, that really helps because, you know, our society is very interested in healthy products and blackberries are among the best for antioxidants and fiber. Mm-hmm. So I think that's contributing to this. We um, in Arkansas, like most states in our country, we're having an increasingly uh, urban uh, society. Just look at the recent statistics of um, of our population. Mm-hmm. So that is also driving local markets where people will um, go on farm or farmers markets, uh, community supported agriculture. This idea where you buy products that are delivered to your home or somewhere nearby weekly. Mm-hmm. Um of all helping drive that. So that's helping push that forward. And the demand is there because we've got, there's a better product there. And so all of this is working together. A variety is just part of it. So I don't want to overemphasize that, but I'm going to say that the variety aspect of this, where we've got thornless plants, much easier to grow, that taste good, that has a lot to do why someone would want to grow them and why someone then would want to eat that end product. And so it's an interesting model. I know it's just blackberries. I grew up on a uh, dairy farm in Mississippi, and I'm sure my father wonders, how in the world did you end up working in a briar patch? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, well, I'm not milking anymore. And it's worked out really uh, charming. Sure. Uh, the university has been a fabulous place to work. And you get to impact a lot of different areas, particularly in student teaching and all that. But the idea that someone could take something and grow it, hopefully be profitable, and then someone buy it and be happy, and that's really good. So that's probably what's driving it, this whole experience. All right. That's, I mean, uh, yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. And it sounds like this, this Ponca, as as varieties go, the Ponca variety uh, sounds like it speaks for itself, you know, and and its popularity and it's, 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 all of those uh, features that it has. So, well, and that's what I want to mention. We've got Ponca we talked about, but there's Caddo, a recent release. And then before that, there was Osage, which is mighty good. And then Washita, one of our real workhorses for years, Natchez. There's a whole, a whole group of them that people can consider, uh, even in addition to Ponca, particularly if they're thinking about growing some, even in a garden, because if you have several varieties, you stretch out that production season and that's fun mm-hmm. too. So I just want to mention that. Yeah, it's no, not a, it's not a, it's not a one pony show. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much for spending time, uh, with us and sort of explaining what fruit breeding looks like in the state of Arkansas, um, sort of how that's made available to, to other folks and, and, and basically, you know, sharing quite a bit about the new all-star in, in, in the Blackberry world of Arkansas, which is the Ponca variety. Appreciate your time. Look forward to talking to you again in the future. And uh, Okay, Jason, it was great to talk to you, and I look forward to our next visit. All right, great. Have a good one. Next up, Donette Spann joins the AgCast to talk about Rock City Burger Week. Kicking off on August 23rd, Danette breaks down the 19 burgers, why the Beef Council is involved, and how eating a $7 burger helps the Arkansas Food Bank. 
She also explains how you could win a burger cookout in your own backyard. I'm Jason Brown with the Arkansas AgCast, and my goodness, am I hungry. Uh, thank you, Danette Span, for joining us to talk about Rock City Burger Week. Well, thank you for having us on today. We're excited about this. Awesome. All right. Well, let's dig in. So Rock City Burger Week is the topic of our conversation on the AgCast today. Can you tell me a little bit about how that got started? Well, this is going to be our inaugural year, first year doing this. Oh, okay. And we are... Oh, trying to drive business to the restaurants with COVID happening, you know, over the last year and a half, Mm -hmm. uh, restaurants have suffered. Um, so we thought what would be a better thing to do than to try to get consumers, customers, beef lovers, burger lovers out (laughs) to these restaurants to, you know, order the signature or the featured burger during this week and hopefully sell so many burgers that the restaurants run out. That's yeah. my, that's what I would love to happen. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. So real quick, August 23rd through 29th yes. is the, uh, is the date for this. Okay, yes. cool. The reason you're talking to us about this event here at Arkansas Farm Bureau is because it's put on by the Arkansas Beef Council. Is that right? Can Absolutely. Uh, Arkansas Beef Council, uh, all we do is promote and educate about beef. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but we are uh, backed by producers. Um, mm-hmm. Every head of cattle that's sold in the state is assessed a dollar. They call that the beef checkoff. Mm-hmm. And that beef checkoff goes towards educating consumers, but also working with retailers, food service, all mm-hmm. those types of people, because we want people to understand that beef can be a great part of the diet. It can be a great part of any meal um, in any form, because yeah. there's so many different forms you can get it in. I see that you're doing this with the help of some other folks, too. Can you tell me a little bit about the sponsors involved? Um, absolutely. We have sponsors, uh, including Benny Keith Foods. They are helping us uh, with the event, rounding up restaurants, and then also the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. They're the ones Mm -hmm. that built our website, uh, and they are helping us tremendously in, in recruiting restaurants, too. Well, that's awesome. Great to have some community partners involved with such an important event. Give us some rundown of the details on Rock City Burger Week. All right. Well, like you said earlier, it's uh, August 23rd through the 29th. That runs a Monday through a Sunday. Um, Seven days. We have 19 restaurants involved. Uh, For this being our first year, that's awesome participation. Mm -hmm. Every restaurant is offering a $7 burger. Okay. If you go to a restaurant, it's very hard to find a $7 (laughs) burger. Um, Some of them took burgers off their menu and are putting the price at $7. Some of the restaurants have actually created a whole new burger just for this week. Oh, wow. Um, And so that's that's what's really cool about it. But for the first 1,000 burgers sold, the Beef Council is donating $1 each to the Arkansas Food Bank. Okay, so that's that's the charitable part of it, which is awesome. And the Arkansas Food Bank is a great charity to be uh, donating... Uh, funds to, um, but part of this uh, to entice consumers, um, beef lovers to get out there is we're also offering a passport program uh, as part of this. Every time you eat a burger, the featured burger at these restaurants, you, you have to take your passport in the restaurants will have passports also, but you'll get your passport stamped by that restaurant. And if you get four more stamps, you can upload it on our website and be entered in for a contest where you'll get the ultimate grill out, the ultimate cookout Um, for up to 25 people. um, We're going to have, you know, we'll come to your place or we'll come to a location that you wanted 
hold it at uh, within reason, obviously, <laughs> and, and distance, but we will have the whole shebang for um, food and all the fix-ins to go with it. Nice. And uh, so we'll have a lucky person be drawn from that, those people who submit their passports. Okay. And you need four four stops on the burger Four tour. stops, yes. Okay. So if you have more, that's great. But you're only going to require four. Okay. I awesome. think I'm going to have all 19. Yeah, no, <laughs> d- no doubt. Our producer, Matthew, and I were just talking about that earlier. So, uh, so cool. So, you get the, how do you get the passport? Uh, you can download it from the website. Okay. Um, there is a little tab on our website that says download passport here. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the restaurants will have supplies of them, too. Oh, excellent. So, that they, so you can pick one up from there. Excellent. Okay, cool. All right, let's talk about a few of the participants. I know you said we've got 19. We could probably take up our entire time together if we went through and named all of them. Um, but where where could where can folks see a full list of participants? Uh, on the website, rockcityburgerweek.com. Okay. Or you can also go to our Facebook page, Rock City Burger Week. Okay. Um, we have a Facebook page, and all those restaurants will be listed. All their featured burgers are listed with a description uh, because, you know, you want to know what's on that burger. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you look at it, and you're like, what is that? Uh, and so we definitely want you to know what's on there. Um, and I challenge all the uh, people to try it. It may look funny, but I mm-hmm. bet you it's going to be so good. Oh, my goodness. You're telling me. Like I said earlier, it's lunchtime as, <laughs> as we're having this conversation. And actually, your website has a photo of every burger yes. and a description for almost every burger. Yes. And I'm just telling you, you will start salivating right right now. I mean, just <laughs> go and go and look at it. It's 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 amazing. RockCityBurgerWeek.com. Let's talk. Okay, so I pulled out some notable burgers. I, I've done my homework. It was tough, but I, I did my homework on, on this on this uh, project here. I, the first burger that stood out, stood out to me was the brewed and barley burger, a beef patty, grilled pineapple, house marinara, provolone cheese, jalapenos on a bacon glazed brioche bun. Are you hungry yet? Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> let me see. Red Door's got Angus beef topped with mac and cheese. Barbecue sauce and crispy onion rings, and then uh, Loca Luna. I guess those two are right next door to each other, right? Yes. Uh, Angus beef with sauteed peppers and onions, Swiss American cheese, crispy onion rings with cheese dip. I love yes. that. And uh, pro- probably, we were debating this in the studio earlier, probably the most famous burger. Let's see if you can guess what we thought it was. Well, I looked at my notes and I saw that it was Midtown Billiards. <laughs> so, well, so I kind of cheated. But, but oh, that's the best burger. Come on. Uh, one of the best. I can't say they're all. It's the best yeah. necessarily, but it is almost the best, especially at midnight. If you're ever <laughs> out it. and about on town, on the town and need something excellent to eat. I wonder if they'll even stamp your passport for a late night burger. They should. They'll Surely be open. They will. Okay, there you go. All right, cool. Okay, the other cool thing that I saw that I wanted to ask you about, and I just think this is so fun, is the five commandments that you guys have listed on the on Ab- the website. Tell absolutely, me about that. the five commandments is you have to remember these these are restaurants. They're running a business. They want to make sure that they get everything out of it that they can. Mm-hmm. Um, they they may run out, so okay. you need to make sure you get there early try to come back the next night if they run out but we're hoping that they run out every night of mm-hmm. their featured burger yeah um, there will be waits um so covid's kind of let up a little bit 
kind of. Uh, <laughs> but restaurants are still open. They're going strong. Uh, so there may be a wait. So you need to be patient. Hopefully you can grab a beer, grab a soda before you, uh, while you're waiting so that mm-hmm. you can get in uh, to, to the restaurant. Uh, you will tip. Please, please tip. Waiters, waitresses, servers, they all are trying to make some money. And mm-hmm. so you're getting a 10 to $15 burger for only $7. Mm-hmm. So please make up, uh, make up that difference for at least 20%, if not more, be, mm-hmm. be very generous. These, these servers are going out of their way to promote beef and we want to make sure that they're taken care of. Nice. You should buy other things. Hey, yeah. a beer would be great for that. Onion rings, dessert, any, all that stuff goes great with the burger, uh, with the burger. And if you're getting it for $7, you have money left over. There you go. You can, yeah. you can add on some stuff to that, to that meal. Um, and the last thing is of course, sharing and caring. We want to make sure that everybody knows that you ate the burger at that restaurant, mm-hmm. give some love to that restaurant, you know, uh, tag them, tag Rock City Burger Week, hashtag Rock City Burger Week. Um, you can always just tag us. We just want to make sure that everybody knows that Rock City Burger Week is happening mm-hmm. and that restaurant is participating and it's going to be, it's going to be the bomb big time. Yeah. Hashtag Rock City Burger Week as well. Yeah. To your point, you know, I mean, it, the notes on the website say, you know, in, in a lot of cases you're getting a 10 or $15 burger, like you said. And so you've got, you know, you've got a good value there for seven bucks. Absolutely. And just looking at the list of places, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many good menu items aside from burgers too. So take something home for the rest of the family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So how do folks find out more? Uh, they definitely go to uh, rockcityburgerweek.com. Uh, go to our Facebook page, Rock City Burger Week. Um, we are keeping that updated. We've got all the mm-hmm. restaurants listed. You can also contact us. Our number is on the website. You can contact us if you have any questions. There is a place to uh, upload your passport because okay. um, you can't be entered if you don't play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely uh, enter in for that, and then we'll draw a winner from all the entry, uh, the entries that we receive. Um, and so... That would be a great a great way to find out more information. Yeah, sure. Okay, I don't want to put you on the spot, and it doesn't have to be your favorite, but what is the first burger that you're eating? I kind of want to go try Homer's. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm liking, I like a good burger, a good basic burger, but uh-huh. I also want to try some of those crazy ones that we've got on the list because they're going to be so good. Yeah, that Bennett's burger looks amazing. Absolutely. Uh, tomato cheese on it. I, I have a I have a confession to make. Uh-oh. I've never eaten a burger at the box. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you have to. Yeah, I've lived in Little Rock for like fifteen years, <laughs> and I've never I've never eaten at the box. It is the classic. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I hear. Absolutely. Well, there's so many groups around town. I've 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 seen the Arkansas Burger Caucus, um, and I know other other unofficial groups have have these you know, trips where they, they go around town and eat different burgers. So this is a great opportunity for somebody like that, somebody new to town who just wants to try a few restaurants and, and maybe maybe has a chance to win a, a backyard grill out or something like that. So y'all get out there and take part in Rock City Burger Week. It is August 23rd through 29th. Um, that y- You can get all the information you need at Rock City Burger Week, 19 restaurants, all serving up a $7 burger, with the help of the Arkansas Beef Council, um, a dollar from every burger 
goes to the Arkansas Food Bank. Go out there, have some fun with this. Uh, tag them on Facebook and social media, hashtag Rock City Burger Week. And thank you, Danette, for joining us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Go eat a burger. (laughs) Finally, I visited with Extension Cotton Agronomist Dr. Bill Robertson about what he's seeing in this year's cotton crop. And he explained some new tools and sustainable methods that could be valuable to cotton growers in the seasons ahead. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm with uh, Dr. Bill Robertson, Cotton Extension Agronomist. Uh, Dr. Robertson, why don't you uh, start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? All right. Thanks, Rob. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm the Cotton Extension Agronomist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Ag Cooperative Extension Service. That's a mouthful. And... um, you obviously, you know, you, this is a, a busy, busy time of year. You're watching the crops. Um, and speaking of, we've made it to August. What's happening out there in terms of finishing off the cotton crop? I'll tell you what, this, this season has been a crazy one, hasn't it? Yes. Uh, we've got fronts coming through right now. We're getting rain. Uh, you know, parts of the state are pretty dry. Parts of the state really don't need any more rain. Uh, I've, I've been with producers down in, southeast arkansas that that this is their third big event where they've basically got everything got water run across everything and then they got a big rain and they have to put everything in four-wheel drive go turn the wells off and cotton does not like wet feet and a big rain right after all your irrigation uh usually is does not make a pretty sight at the end of the season so anyway we've got a we've got a mixed bag out there and uh and and depending on what mother, mother nature does to us the rest of the right. year, it could be pretty at the end of the year. Or it could be kind of ugly. Well, you know, you, you, I, I have, I was prepared to ask you about the weather and, and how it has been a back and forth year with heavy rain and then dry periods. So yeah, you're, you're seeing the results of that out there. Oh um, yeah. And it, and it was from the word go because yeah. we had winter and then spring and then it turned winter again. Yeah. You know, the yeah. end of May, end of May we got, temperatures in the upper 40s and it just really the cotton plant just was so confused that it you know fruiting moved up we were we were a hard 10 days late starting squaring from from our planting day right and so it's just been it's been crazy all year and and i don't look for mother nature to give us much of a break from here on out either right i hope i'm wrong you really don't know what to expect yeah i uh, think she's just sitting back uh (laughs) laughing at us right right now so, uh, like you said, it could go a lot of different ways at this point. Are there oh, exactly are there any insects or insect problems that you've seen this year, particularly right now, uh, that may impact the cotton crop? Yeah, you know, especially on our on our later planted cotton, thrips were bad. You know, we got into plant bugs and plant bugs and plant bugs and plant bugs. They just kept coming into cotton, and so they've been an issue. And now, now we got the worms, big, heavy, heavy heavy worm lay right now and so uh this year has been uh, you name it we got and yeah. so gus and ben thrash and and some of our other entomologists with the university have just been uh very, going crazy very busy, and then, huh? yeah at least the fall army worm had been in cotton it's been in everything else but, right uh, i was gonna say you know, we, we got have, arm yeah we've heard about the army worm making its way around but not not as much in cotton thankfully yeah yeah uh, so you, you talk a lot about that. We had late, late planted cotton and, and we'll have some late maturing cotton. I think you've written some stuff about that. What, what do people need to do or be looking for with, uh, you know, the late planted cotton crop? 
Yeah. You know, when, when, when I look at the cotton crop, I, I, I like what I see. And I think we would have a great crop if we could roll the calendar back some. Yeah. It wasn't that far ago that most people said they were running about three weeks behind. Uh, nearly everybody I talked to. And when I look in fields, fields have made a lot of progress in terms of catching up and looking like they're maturing out. But the, the big thing right now is, you know, we we're pretty much past the point of, uh, of fruit on the plant, making us money, except for as far as Southeast Arkansas, uh, getting to our latest possible cutout day. Cause a lot of this cotton is cut out. Um, so we've got the fruit on the plant when, when we get, you know, 10 days to two weeks beyond the point that our plants are cut out, we can start stretching our irrigation out. Okay. And, and, uh, but that'll help the plant go a long ways toward senescing or, or, uh, getting into the, the shape that it needs to be in for our harvest age to work better. And, and one of the worst things we can do, and I know it's very easy to do because we got the irrigation pipe, we got the systems out there is to put that one last watering on there. Yeah. We think, you know, we're to kind of to the point now to where, well, do I need to water or not? I think I'm going to go ahead and water because all you have to do is push a button and, and run the water because everything else is in place. And a lot of times that last water and doesn't put any more extra cotton in the module or in the basket. But a lot of times it costs us days. You know, we can be right. 10 days to two weeks late, later putting a picker in the field. And, and we know the last couple of years, you know, with harvest stringing out that, it, you know, delays in harvest really hits us in the pocketbook. So we, we yeah. just got to be tempted not to not to to water this crop too long because that's going to make a late crop even later. And, and when we talk about a late crop, what is your uh, feeling right now for when, you know, when they're going to start bringing the pickers out? When what, what you know, what kind of timetable are you seeing right now versus the ideal timetable? Well, you know, ideally, we we like to have some defoliation rigs running, you know, mm -hmm. by the end of this month. And then ideally we'd like to have pickers in, in the field somewhere the middle of September. Yeah. And because, you know, ideally we like to be out of the field November one. Right. But I just have a feeling that, that our, our defoliation rigs aren't really going to be rolling until really good until about the middle of September when really we need to be having our pickers in the field. You know, if you look at percent open bowl on the, the, the ag, the, the NAS report that came out this week, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where they show 11% of the fields is open bowls. And that's, you know, last year we were 14 at this time, but our five-year average is 9%. So we're, we're kind of in there. Okay. Uh, but we just, we, we can't stump our toe by, by running the water too long and, and right. hopefully we'll get a help, a little help from mother nature by not giving us a lot of extra water to push it. And so, we could very well, we could very well kind of be on time. It just, it's just all depends on, on what mother nature wants to do to us, I think. Right. So we're kind of close to being okay, but it's a delicate, a delicate balance yeah. at this point. <laughs> like I said, we could, we could come out of this thing really, really good, or it could be really, really bad. Right. Well, let's cross <laughs> our fingers. Um, yeah. But you know, that's the way farming is, isn't it? Right. Well, and that's If, if it true, was easy, everybody would be doing it. Right. <laughs> Now I know you uh, you've been involved in some of the the field day planning, and you were planning a cotton sustainability field day that was going to happen at the end of the July, but I know that had to be canceled uh, because of the COVID uh, ongoing COVID issues. 
Can you give us uh, maybe a, a peek at what you were planning to talk about or highlight during during that field day? Is there anything interesting that? Yeah, the 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 big thing is, you know, when we grow cotton and we have to have somebody to sell it to, and mm-hmm. and the the brands and retailers, the people that source cotton to make the cotton garments and everything else that we do with cotton are pretty well committed. You know, some of them starting this year and certainly by 2025 that 100% of the fibers they source or 100% of the, the fibers they buy need to be labeled as sustainably produced. Okay. And and so that's that's going to impact everybody that grows cotton. We need to, we need to, the, I was wanting to increase the awareness of the programs that are out there. There's three programs out there that farmers can enroll in to get that box checked saying that it was produced sustainably mm-hmm. because the, the big thing is, is you enroll in these programs and you really kind of get a good look on where you are and how you compare to some of your neighbors and then what you need to do to be better. But the continuous improvement part of these programs is the big key. And that's the, the, the traceability and the, the documentation that our supply chain needs to be able to put that on the label to, to meet what our customers are wanting. Uh, say the customers, the people that are buying the, the buying the the, right. the finished products. So that's the direction we need to go. When people get enrolled in those programs, and then we start looking at things we can do to be better. Then some of the research that we're doing on cover crops and reducing tillage and other things that we can do to improve soil health okay. is really going to come into play because that's where we can really get better. And we kind of build that teamwork between the cotton plant and the soil and the, the microbes in the soil and having more organic matter and all that. And we kind of go from a basketball team with one star player to a basketball team with three or four really, really good players. And, you know, a basketball team with three or four really, really good players can a lot of times do, play, you know, right. just outdo that, that, that basketball team with just one star player. So that's kind of the direction we need to go or that I think we need to go. And when we do that, I think we can have a tremendous uh, potential to, to improve profitability of cotton. But but those are some of the things that we were trying to trying to get sure. off the back burner and more on the front burner because before long, that's going to be impacted everybody that grows cotton. What do you have a perspective or a, a feeling on how how Arkansas cotton growers are doing in that regard? Uh, how how much of a a challenge it's going to be to get get to where we need to be there? Or are they moving in that direction already? Big picture. Well, you know, if you sit back and look, the people that are still in business now are pretty dadgum sustainable, you know? Right. And so the big thing is, is we got, we've got to just document it mm-hmm. and, and, and just to having the traceability uh, of showing on paper, this is what we've done. This is what we've done. This is where we've been. And, and now then they're going to want to know where are we going in the future, but we need to have some kind of documentation. And, and that's the big thing because, you know, somebody can get up there and, and talk the talk and, and do all this, but you got to have it on paper showing that you're walking the walk. Gotcha. And, and that's what our supply chain needs. They need documentation showing the good things that we're already doing. And, and then, you know, there's things, things that producers do to improve their bottom line makes them more environmentally friendly. We just, we just got to, we got a tutor on horn. We got We got to prove right. it to them. So it's about showing it and, and highlighting uh, it and documenting it. Like you said, now. Oh, it- exactly. 
exactly. that going to be a challenge or are there some technical issues there? Or is there technology involved that will help with that? Yeah, there's, you know, it, it takes a lot of information on what we do, but we have things now that, you know, with our, the, the GPS equipment, the things that record what we do, there, there are opportunities to just download things that are already recording some of this information into some of the pro in like the field print calculator and some of the other things that are out there that can go into that directly to, okay. so that, because it's really a big, it's really a pain no matter what you do. You know, you enter this data here, like even when I go to the doctor's office, I fill out this form and at one place and I fill out another form that has almost the same questions. And then you go into the doctor and the nurse asks you the same questions that you oh, just yeah. filled out oh, yeah, on the paperwork before. Yeah, and, and it's aggravating. And, you know, and, and so, and we ask, they ask for a lot of information. So being able to enter it one time or have it in one place and then use it everywhere else is, is wonderful. And that's the direction that, that, that we're going on a lot of this. Oh, that's good. Well, speaking of some technology and stuff, I, I think I'd seen, I, you know, uh, we follow you on, on Twitter, and I think you had pushed out something about uh, the DD60 Growing Degree Days Calculator for cotton. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, it, how is that? What is that? And, and how can that help uh, farmers out there? Yeah, we've, you know, we've, we've got a bunch of research-based uh, guidelines that we can use to terminate our insecticide sprays. Mm-hmm. And, and these are our are uh, very well established guidelines. So, so basically we, we look at, at trying to establish our last effective bow population. And you know, that sounds pretty technical, but basically we're identifying the last group of bowls that are gonna make us money. And so we look at nodes above white flower, you know, starting at first flower, we like to have nine to 10, mm-hmm. you know, for the plant to have the horsepower it needs to kind of pull that big hill that we have with our challenging soils here in Arkansas. But when we get nodes above white flower five, when the day that happens, those white flowers that are in the field that day kind of represent the last group of bowls that are going to be contributing significantly to yield and profit. So then we keep track of heat units beyond that time to, to know when we can stop spraying for a particular pest and it not hurt us on yield. Okay. So when we, when we establish the date that our field reaches cut out or nodes above white flower five, then we need to start keeping track of our DD60s. And when we get 250 heat units in a field and it's clean or we're not at treatment level for plant bugs, then we don't have to worry about plant bugs in that field anymore. If we're at treatment threshold, we need to spray it, but then we we don't have to worry about plant bugs anymore. And the same same thought process goes in for bollworms and budworms at 350 Mm -hmm. heat units, stink bugs at 450 heat units, and our defoliators at 600 heat units. Now, irrigation termination, we try to do a guideline on that, and, and there are so many things that go into irrigation termination, uh, such as do you have nematodes, do you have a hard pan, how shallow are your roots? And so that our, our irrigation termination can range from as early as 350 units after cutout to almost 600. But the majority of all the fields I work at and look at somewhere between that 500 and 550 heat unit mark is where we is where we put our last irrigation out. Now this year, you know, our crop is late mm-hmm. and you look at long-term data and people that have done research on this very rarely, if ever does a September water on cotton pay. It just doesn't do it just because we're running out of calendar and out of season and we right. want a plant to be tired 
and to, and to respond to harvest age. And we don't want to plant with second wind because a plant right. with second wind is just like our grandbabies that have their second wind when it's nap time or yeah. time to go to bed at night. They right. don't want to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm tired. I want them, when it's time to go to bed, I want them to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what we want cotton to do. We want cotton to be tired at the end of the season because it's got, it's got a good bow load on it and all that. And so, uh, uh, so we don't want to water too late. So, but there's a lot of things that go into play on ir- on irrigation termination. Now, we also use 850 heat units after cutout as one of the guidelines to know when we're getting close for defoliation. When we get to 850 heat units, I like to take a knife out there to the field and and slice bowls to look how mature they are and look at percent open bowls. And I I use those three things to decide when I think it's time to to put my harvest states out. And then that'll that'll kind of get the the ball in motion on getting the, getting getting pickers in the field and and try to meet that November one harvest uh, uh, completion date. Well, I think that that gives a pretty good idea of of the complicated nature of, of of farming these days in terms of efficiency and trying to get you know the profitability and all the things you have to be on top of. Uh, yeah. And, and but for the non-farmer out there, can you give me a quick? Uh, mention of what you, you talk about the heat units um, and what that is and how you're measuring that. Yeah, the basically what we do, uh, cotton is a plant that, that you know, we, we have cardinal temperatures, which is the, the, the temperature, the low temp- temperatures, the temperature which cotton doesn't grow when it gets to be out below mm-hmm. that. So 60 degrees is kind of our base temperature for cotton. So when it gets below 60 degrees, it basically doesn't grow. Okay. Yeah. So we look at see how much heat we get uh, uh, above 60 degrees. So so when we calculate that, we take the average daily temperature. So we take the high temperature plus the low temperature, divided by two to get our average. Okay. And then we take 60 from that, and then so that gives us uh, heat units with a DD with a 60 degree base temperature. Okay. So if we were in a crop that had a 50 degree base temperature. Then we'd take the daily average and, and subtract 50 from that, and that's how many growing degree, degree days that we accumulated on that for, for a crop that needed 50 heat. I mean, you know, that the right. base temperature was 50, but for cotton, we use 60. And so then that's how we look at, at heat units, our DD60s, uh, beyond a, a certain date. So when we get into the calculator, uh, the calculator that we have set up is yeah. just set up for 60. But you put your start date in. So like for now, for cotton, if we want to see how many heat units we have in beyond cutout, we put our cutout date into the calculator. And then we tell it what county we're in because it'll have it has different weather stations that it goes to to pull weather data, depending on where you're at. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is a little cooler as we go north in the state, generally, not always. And, and you know, it's a temperature varies some going east and west, too. But anyway, we put our, our start date in there and our in our county location in there and just say calculate and it gives us the number of heat units we have to, to today's date. Okay. Well that and so and- if we go in there and we click that and you know and, and we'll look at it down the road and we kinda, you know, uh you know, on a real hot day, a lot of times, you know, you can kind of do this in your in your head. You know, on a really hot days, you know, we're you're accumulating somewhere between twenty and twenty five heat units a day. Okay. Yeah. You know, on a cooler day like today, we're we're not accumulating that much. But anyway, but if you look at this and say, okay, we're running, say, two hundred and 
say 230 heat units today, well, you know, probably in about one or two more days, we're going to be past the 250 heat unit mark. Yeah. Do we need to evaluate up field for plant bugs and decide, do we spray or not spray? And then we're done with plant bugs. So, and this is a free, this is a free tool, right? That they can access online. Exactly. Okay. Yes, it is. It's a free tool. And is that on the, uh, the website for the, the extension or the university? It's, it's on the extension, on the extension page. And, um, For yeah. life of me, it, it's in. Oh, that's know, okay. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I figured if they could search, <laughs> it's the it's called the DD60 Growing Degree Days Calculator, and and like you said, it's on the extension page, and they can yeah. probably uh, find it fairly easily if they were were searching. Yeah, because if anything else, you could Google a uh, uh, degree day calculator Arkansas, and and it would take you to it. All right, that's good to know. And uh, is there anything else we need to know about the, the cotton cotton crop this year? And that, let's see, I, I think we may have the address. Yeah, uh, I, I can cut it in if you want. Yeah, we'll, uh, it's the, it is uh, growdegreecalc.uada.edu, growdegreecalc.uada.edu. Great. All right. Yeah, we can just do do a little editing there so we hit that. Yeah. That's right. So uh, is there anything else you want to tell us right now or anything else we need to know about uh, the cotton in Arkansas this season? Yeah, well, you know, there's there's the old the old saying about cotton. You know, with, with cotton, it's never as bad as it seems, but a lot of times it's never as good as it seems either. So yeah. with cotton, we just, we just have to hang in there and keep trucking, keep our head up, and that's, you know, people that grow cotton, that's what they do they know that's what they got to do right but uh it's 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 very challenging from start to finish but uh and but that's what you know cotton farmers that that's a lot of what they love about cotton because it's very responsive to management and uh and and you know if you do things right it you know you know you can you can tell it driving down the road that's all for this week's arkansas agcast Check back next Thursday for the latest news and views on Arkansas agriculture.